God be with you. So one of the things we're exploring throughout the fall, on top of spiritual practices, uh, we're looking at the miracles of Jesus. We're looking at some of those weird and hard-to-hold stories like Jesus walking on water, or Jesus healing the blind, or making the lame walk, or multiplying food. And instead of asking, how did he do it, which is kind of a boring question when you think about it, it's really not that interesting, we're asking, what do we see through it? This fall, we're holding miracles like windows. We're asking those questions that we always ask when it comes to our faith and spirituality, these questions that the Bible stories always get us to ask. What is this showing us about God? What is this showing us about being human? And what is this showing us about our world? And we're asking those questions because it's not good enough for us to simply read these stories of miracles and go, oh my God, that's amazing, wow, and leave it at that. That's not good enough. We miss the whole point if we do that. Instead, what we're trying to do is stop, hear them, and let that, wow, amazing, crazy, let that amazement go to work. Letting it expand what we think is possible. Letting it change how we see ourselves, our God, or the world around us. Letting it spark some desire within us. And get us to that point where we want to climb through that window and join in on what's happening, and letting that change how we live, move, and have our being in this world. So we've looked at a bunch of miracles already, and we're going to keep going today. And today we're exploring a story about this miracle about Jesus bringing back someone from the dead. It's one of the more famous Bible stories, certainly for churchy people, and I think for a good reason. Because this is a miracle that shows us not just a really foundational truth about our faith and spirituality, but it shows us a really important truth about what it means to be human. And so today, my friends, we're going to talk about our friend silence, we're going to talk about ugly crying, we're going to talk about the thing that we need to do, and then we'll ask some questions at the end. Are you with me? Sounds good? All right. Uh, let's let's say a prayer. Let's start there. Let's bow our heads, please. And so, God, this time is for you. It's for you to speak, to give us a good, nourishing, challenging, inspiring word. So may you take these words of mine and do whatever you need to do with them. And may your spirit move. Amen. So the story we're talking about is told to us by a guy named John. You can find it in John's Gospel. And by the way he tells it, this is one of the most important stories in the entire Gospel. Because this is the story, according to him, that will eventually get Jesus killed. This is a thing that pisses off all the higher-ups, that makes them say, Jesus, no more, you're done. Because up to this point, Jesus has just, he's cured lame people, he's made blind people see, he's helped uh, feed people. And that's cute and all. Okay, we can deal with that. But raising people from the dead, whoa, Jesus, that crosses a line. 
Because for an empire, for an empire whose, main, who, whose only means of control, oppression, and dominance is through death, raising people from the dead, well, that kind of takes away their ace. Suddenly Jesus could raise a whole army and they'd be helpless to do anything about it. So they got to kill the guy because he's going to cause trouble. And let's be face it, raising people from the dead is kind of scary. Are they zombies? And if so, are they fast ones? Are they slow ones? What kind of people are we working with? Can Jesus control them? It's just, it's a lot to think about, so it's a big, important story. So because of all that, it's a really long story. It's, it's one chapter. And I know we all get a bit antsy when this Bible story reading is more than four lines. So we're not going to read it today, we're just going to walk through it. And we're going to pull over in a few places where there's some stuff for us to hear. And then hopefully we'll find somewhere to camp out near the end of it. So the story begins with Jesus out doing his thing. He's out somewhere telling people about what God is like. He's showing people how to be human. He's inviting people to help create a new kind of world. When he gets news that his friend Lazarus, his best friend in the whole world, someone he loves very, very, very much, is sick. Like on the brink of death, sick. But instead of doing what we would expect him to do, which is dropping everything and rushing to Lazarus, he doesn't do anything. Instead, he decides to take his time going to see Lazarus. And he says, you know what? I'm going to use this as an opportunity to show just what kind of God we have. And so he takes his time going to see Lazarus. He takes so much time, in fact, that by the time he gets there, Lazarus is dead. He takes four days and when he shows up, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And so when he finally gets there, he's met by Lazarus' family, by his sisters Mary and Martha. And they're, well, they're, they're exactly how you would expect them to be. They just lost their brothers, so they're sad, they're distraught, they're despairing. But they're also really, really mad at Jesus. And they tell him that. They say, Jesus, if you had just shown up when we called, maybe you could have healed him. Maybe you could have saved his life. Maybe he didn't have to die. But you didn't show up when we called. Now he's dead, and now he's gone, and it's your fault. So we're going to pull over here for a moment, because there's something really deep um, and some really helpful wisdom going on here that I think we need to hear. We like to say, and I'm guilty of this probably more than anyone in this room, but we like to say that God is always with us, don't we? We like to say that no matter where you go or, or where you're at, God is always by your side. It's one of those things Christians like to say. And of course we should say it because God is love, so God's going to be everywhere, right? It's so comforting, it's beautiful, it's liberating. It's especially nice when everything hits the fan. Oh, don't worry, God is with you. But the truth is, and I know I've experienced this, and I know a lot of you have experienced this, but the truth is that's not always true. Sometimes God isn't present. Sometimes God feels absent. Sometimes the universe is silent. 
Sometimes we don't feel those reverent things like hope and comfort and peace and love. If you live long enough, if you live fully enough, there will be moments when God just doesn't show up. There will be moments when we feel forsaken. There will be moments when everything is just quiet. Anyone ever experienced that? Yeah, it's almost like rubs against our conventional theology that we don't even want to name it. But it, you can name it. It's okay. I've experienced it. I know some of you have. Jesus even experienced it. Right on the cross on Good Friday. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God wasn't there. God didn't show up. Now the trick with this because it does rub up against us in some uncomfortable ways. The trick isn't to pretend that that isn't true or try to you know, lawyer up and defend God by finding some loophole. The trick, rather, is just to accept it, to name it, and just live in that tension of sometimes God just doesn't show up when we call. So recognize that sometimes the universe will just be quiet. That sometimes, just like we can feel God's presence, sometimes we won't feel God's presence. And Fred Bigner, an amazing writer that you should all read, uh, he thinks naming and feeling that absent is, absence is one of the most important things that we can do. He even calls it a sacrament. So he's putting feeling God's absence right up there with communion. And so you should all be asking why. Why? Thank you, Dave. Because he says without the absence, you'll never feel the presence. Without the lack, you'll never feel the wholeness. Without God not being there, we'll never notice when God is actually there. He actually says that's something we should celebrate. I can't feel God. That's amazing. Because the one thing we can hold on to, the one truth we do have, is that God will eventually one day in some way and somehow show up and our prayers will be answered. So if you're here today and you're not feeling any of this, if this is just like, oh, just don't feel God, that's okay. It's okay to feel God's absence. It's even holy to feel God's absence. It's all part of the journey. It's a part of being human. And the thing you need to hold on to right now, if this is you, is that hope that one day God will show up and you will feel that presence. And so that's what Mary and Martha are feeling. They're right in that full spectrum of feeling the absence and then feeling the presence. And they're telling Jesus what happened. They're letting out everything that's inside of them. When we're told that Jesus, after hearing it all, after feeling it all, after seeing it all, he falls down on the ground and he weeps with them. And now the word here in Greek is the same word for a horse snorting. Like Jesus is weeping. This is deep. This is soulful stuff. Jesus is ugly crying. Like there's mascara everywhere. There's like stuff coming out of his nose. It's not pretty. 
He's that kind of crying. He's that shook up. And we're going to pull over here again, because how beautiful is that? Like, seriously, Jesus wept. And we can go all kinds of places with this, but the place we're going to go this morning is here. We're going to sit with this one. Because the truth is, and let me know if you're with me on this, We never feel as helpless as when we do when we're confronted with someone we love who is in complete pain and brokenness. Right? We feel about as helpless as we can when confronted with people's life and world-changing pain and suffering. Someone we deeply love is their whole world is falling apart. And we just feel so helpless. And that's often the place where we say the stupidest things that we possibly can to our loved ones. Right? We see them, they're just they're suffering, and all we want to do is fix it. We just want to solve it. And so our brains go into overdrive. It's like, okay, what can I say? What can I say? What can I say? Goes through the Rolodex of helpful things to say, but there's nothing really good to say because we don't know how to help. So we say to our friend who just got divorced, it's okay. Lots of people want to date you. Or we say to someone who, you know, just lost a child, it's okay, God just needed another angel. Or we say to someone who just needs to fall apart, you're strong, you'll make it. Three things we all have said, or all have heard, and three things that are just so unhelpful. And I think the truth is, the thing that we need to really strive to remember, that it's in those moments, it's when we're confronted with people's pain and suffering, where we need to remember that what's needed most isn't a patch. It's presence. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just weep alongside them. Because sometimes, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say maybe all the time, Presence is actually better than fixing it. Because some things can't be fixed. Some things we can't come back from. Sometimes that's not what people need or that's not what they're looking for. And sometimes the best thing we can offer, the only thing we can offer to people who are in the thick of despair is our presence. Is saying, I'm here, I'm with you, You're not alone. There is more healing power in an ugly cry than there is in any casserole you could possibly bake. And so Jesus is weeping with them. He's ugly crying, offering solidarity and comfort and presence. And when they're all cried out, when they realize they're not alone, they get up and Jesus is all, let me show you what God can do. And Mary and Martha, they lead him to Lazarus' tomb. And Jesus gets a bunch of people to roll away the tomb. And he looks into the darkness. And everyone there is confronted with the smell of death that's coming out. It stinks. And into the smell, 
and into the darkness, Jesus yells out, Lazarus, come out! And to the astonishment of everyone, out of the darkness, out of the smell, out of the tomb, out walks Lazarus. Very much not dead anymore. And Jesus tells the people around him to go unbind him to help him take off all the burial cloths and to let him go home with his family. And that's the miracle. That's where our story ends. And so our question is, what do we see through it? What's the window we're supposed to climb through? And maybe the thing to help us answer that is to remember that when we talk about death, in these stories. We're not actually talking about death. When we talk about death, what we're talking about is all the ways that we can experience death. We're talking about the loss of relationships. We're talking about the death of dreams, the death of community, of faith, of work, of hope, of ability, of independence, of identity, of purpose all the ways that we lose parts of ourselves that fade away into nothing and that we can never get back. When we hear stories about death in the Bible, that's what we're talking about. Not just death, but death. Those things that happen inside of us, that happen around us. Because when we hold it that way, when we realize we're talking about that kind of death, the whole story changes. Suddenly it's not a story about Lazarus. Suddenly it's a story about us. Suddenly this story is our story. Because we're all people who have experienced death, aren't we? We all stink in some way. We've all got things inside of us that are locked away in these tombs. We're all people who are mourning the loss of something that we can never get back. And if that's you, this story is your story. It's a story about you. And one of the things that we can see through this story is that beautiful, that liberating truth of resurrection. This truth that says those deaths, they're not the end. That our stories don't have to end with tombs. That every ending is a new beginning. That the worst thing is not the last thing. That if we listen hard enough, we will at one point hear God's voice saying, Come out, and we experience new life again. This isn't just a story about Lazarus' resurrection, it's also a story about our own. This story that reminds us that the ending does not have to be the ending, it can be a beginning that we too can walk out of our tombs and into something new. And so if that's where you're at this morning, if you're someone who needs to hear that truth, if you've got a death going on that you need to be liberated from, if you're in a tomb that you need to walk out of, stay here. Ignore the rest of this. Just sit with that and listen for that voice telling you to come out, that you don't have to live like that, that it doesn't have to end there, that you too can experience new life. But if you don't need to hear that, there's one other thing in this story that I think we need to spend some time with. And we can see it at the very, very end of this story. Lazarus comes out. 
And what does Jesus get people around him to do? To unbind him. The people have to go and help Lazarus undo all the bandages, all the burial cloths that he's wrapped up in. And this tells us something really, really important about what it means to be human. That God's not the only one who does the work of resurrection. That we have a role too. As God goes about doing their work of resurrection, of pulling life out of death, whether it's through people or systems or creation, whatever it is, as God moves to bring life out of all of that, our job is to meet those people. It's to meet those systems, to meet that creation, to meet the things coming out of death and into new life and do the work of unbinding them, of helping them out of their burial cloths, of helping them walk again and entering into new life. When I was a kid, I would go and stay with my grandma like once every two years. And grandma's pride and joy, like more pride and joy than any of her grandkids, was her garden. It took up the entire backyard. This was this like magnificent feat of Toronto urban gardening. And I had one job to do. And in retrospect, I realized it was the safest job because I wouldn't mess anything up. But I loved doing this job. And my job was to go on my hands and knees throughout the whole garden and find those little stalks of flower or vegetables, whatever, poking up through the ground and to take a little toothbrush that she gave me and dust away the dirt around it (laughs) so the flower could help spring up. And now, no doubt this was just a, I need something to keep this kid occupied for a long time. But I think what she actually was teaching me, and knowing her, she knew this. She was helping me do the work of resurrection. Because that's what our job is. We're people who go through the world and look for where God is active. Maybe it's people. Maybe it's systems that are changing. Maybe it's creation that is healing. And we get down on our hands and knees with our toothbrushes. And we wipe away the dirt saying, here, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to make this journey a bit easier. Welcome to this new life, the new world. This is how it's going to be. You're not alone. Because death is one thing. That's hard enough. But rising up into new life, that's a whole other amount of work. And if you've survived resurrection, you know how hard it is. And we need people to take our hand, to unbind us, and to set us on our way. So as people who are called to help out in the work of resurrection, some questions for you to take home. How can you notice the resurrection happening around you? What in this world needs your help? And how can you rise up out of your seats, grabbing your toothbrushes, and how can you help dust off that new life that is springing up around you? So that's your homework this week. Just pick up those toothbrushes and go out and help God help transform this world into one where everything lives and everything experiences life and everyone has a place and everyone has enough.
And so to that good work of recreating everything, all the people say, Amen. Let's stand up and sing our final hymn together.